Welcome to Catholic Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and today I'm going to be reading to you the Sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer on the Feast of the Epiphany. I told you I was not going to do this, but I decided that I want to try to get as many of St. Vincent Ferrer's sermons down on video as possible because it's such a beautiful tradition of of preaching that's been lost. So here it is for the Feast of the Epiphany. I'm probably going to do his also his one on the baptism of our Lord. Uh, but without further ado, I'll do the reading for the Feast of the Epiphany, and then I'll go straight into St. Vincent Ferrer's Sermon on the Epiphany. St. Vincent Ferrer, Sermon on the Feast of the Epiphany, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus therefore was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to adore him. And King Herod, hearing this, was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. But they said to him in Bethlehem of Judah, For so it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come forth the captain that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, privately calling the wise men, learned diligently of the time of the star which appeared to them. And sending them into Bethlehem, said, Go and diligently inquire after the child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, and I also may come to adore him. Who, having heard the king, went their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And seeing the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And entering into the house, they found the child with Mary his mother. And falling down, they adored him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having received an answer in, in sleep that they should not return to Herod, they went back another way into their own country. And falling down, they adored him. Today's feast is commonly called Epiphany or Appearance, which is the same, because the virgin birth, which had been hidden in secret, today was manifest to the nations. So the churchmen say and call this feast Epiphany from Epi, which is above, in Phanos, which is Appearance, which the star appeared over the nations. In order that God should wish to give us sentiments of sweetness of this feast in our soul, let us salute the Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And falling down, they adored him. The assigned reading reveals to us in a few words the great and perfect reverence which the three kings of the East offered today to our Lord Jesus Christ. Falling down. Not only did they uncover their heads, nor were they content to bend their knees, but they folded their hands and arms and even their whole body, and falling down, they adored him. Now to give us reason for this adoration, for reason begets understanding and authority confirms belief. I find in sacred scripture that for true, devout, and perfect adoration, two things are required, a reverent attitude of the interior mind and a humble gesture of the outward body. As for the first, when man thinks of the infinite and incomprehensible majesty of God and his transcendent power, there comes a reverent trembling interiorly in the soul. And from this there follows exteriorly a humility in the body, joining the hands, genuflecting or prostrating oneself in prayer to God. Divine adoration consists in these two. To understand this reason, it must be understood that God created man and his substantial being different than other creatures. Man is a composite, substantially with respect to the soul, and materially with respect to the body. Not so the angels, who are only spiritual substances, nor the animals, which are only material substances. 
because of this man is similar to the angels and animals because he has both. So God wishes to be worshipped by both, from the soul thinking of the majesty of God and from the body through the humble gestures. Just like a landowner who leases his field and vineyard with a certain assessment of use, he requires an accounting from both. Otherwise, he takes back to himself the whole commission. So God is with us. He gives us the vine, the soul which makes the heart drunk with love of God, and the field of the body that it might bear the fruit of repentance and mercy. So, for, so from both he would have a reckoning of devout adoration. Of the angels he asks only spiritual adoration, reverential movements of the mind. Of the animals he asks only of reverential posture of the body, like the ox and ass when they adored Christ in the manger. Because they, they could only bend their knees, but interiorly they had no thoughts. But from us, God wishes both, namely the reverent motion of the mind and bodily actions. Christ said, but the hour comes and is now when the true adorers shall adore the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father also seeks such to adore him. God is a spirit and they who adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth. Note the hour comes, the time of the law of grace, when the true adorer shall come, shall adore the Father in spirit with respect to the soul and in truth with respect to the body, because the truth, because that is truth when the body conforms and corresponds to the mind. And he gives a reason saying God is a spirit, and so it is necessary to adore him in spirit and in truth. Think of the miracle found in John 9 of the man born blind, given sight by Christ to whom he says, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, I believe, Lord. And falling down, he adored him. See the reverential interior movement in the soul and the external bodily gesture because of falling down, he adored him. The three kings acted thus when they saw the infant Jesus. Instantly there entered into their soul a movement of reverential fear from the presence of divine majesty. And so prostrating themselves, they adored him. Of these three kings, I shall explain four points. First, how they prepared themselves diligently, say paraverunt diligentor. Second, how they went forth courageously, ambalovarmunt fortietur. Third, how they sought him persistently, quasierunt firmiter. Fourth, how they adored him profoundly, adorverunt firmiter. And from the fourth point, the theme speaks falling down, they adored him. Diligently prepared themselves. The first point is to tell how these three holy kings aptly prepared themselves. We need to know what God promised Abraham and the holy patriarchs, that he would soon send his son, born into this world of a virgin, true God and true man. About this, he gave clear prophecies, not only to the Jews in Judea, but also to diverse parts of the world, as a sign that he would come not only to save the Jews, as they falsely believe, but also all those believing in him and obeying him. He especially sent prophecies to the eastern regions, where they were great prophets and wise men, through the prophet Balaam, saying, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. A star shall rise out of Jacob, and a scepter shall spring up from Israel, and shall strike the chiefs of Moab. Numbers 24:17. Note, I shall see him, Christ whom he saw, not in himself, but through his successors. I shall see him, now, but not now. Because from the text of the Bible, there were 1,500 years from Balaam to Christ. But these three kings were from their own time. And he gave them the sign saying, A star shall rise out of Jacob from the promised land, and a scepter shall spring up from Israel. The Messiah king's savior, and he shall strike the king of Moab, which is so interpreted, it, Moab, signifies the devil 
who is the father of sinners, to whom Christ said, you are of the father of the devil, the king of Moab, of the devil, or of Lucifer. And there are seven princes who are the captains of the seven capital sins. The first prince, the captain of pride, is called Leviathan in Job chapter 40. He is the king over all the sons of pride. The second prince, the captain of avarice, is called Mammon, about whom Christ spoke in Matthew. You cannot serve both God and Mammon. The third prince, the captain of lust, is called Asmodeus, about whom we read in Tobit chapter 3, verse 8. And a devil named Amodeus had killed them, namely the lusting bridegrooms. The fourth prince of envy is called Beelzebub, Luke chapter 11, verse 15. He cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. The world, the word was about the envy of the Jew, Jews of Christ. The fifth prince of gluttony is called Belphegor. At Psalm 105:28, they also were in, initiated to Belphegor and ate the sacrifice of, of the dead. The sixth prince of anger is called Baal Bereth. In Judges 9:4, out of the temple, Baal Bereth withdrew, he hired to himself men. Wherewith he hired himself to men. The seventh prince of, prince of sloth is called Ashtaroth. I in First Kings chapter seven verse three put away the strange gods from among you, Balim and Ashtaroth, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ struck down these seven princes with the staff of his preaching. David said, "The Lord will send forth the scepter of your power out of Sion." About this prophecy of Balaam, Chrysostom says that his disciples and those who were of his kind after his death wished to observe that star, and they ordained that certain ones of them would stand on the tall mountain victory to gaze at the, at the heavens. They, there they would wash themselves, believing that by, their sins were for, by this their sins were forgiven, and they would pray, saying, O God of heaven, God of Israel, send the star and fulfill the prophecy." And so they divided, they divided up times to watch for themselves. And on the night of the nativity, by divine providence, these three kings of the east, great philosophers and astrologers, on Mount Victory, saw the predicted star. And at the moment when Christ was born of the virgin's womb, the star appeared to them extremely bright and low in the sky, nor did daylight dim its appearance. Chrysostom repeats this opinion that there was the image of a child in that star with a cross on his forehead. Some say that the Magi wanted to adore the star, but Augustine says that the angel of the Lord told them that they should not adore the star, but that they should make their way to adore the newly born creator. Then the kings, then the kings took counsel how they should travel, how they should prepare, and what they should bring to offer to him, saying, He is a great king and powerful. We should offer him gold. And he is God and creator because the stars serve him, so we shall offer him incense. And in this sign of the cross, it is revealed that he is to die on a cross, and so we shall offer him bitter myrrh. The Magi, seeing the star, consulted each other. This is the sign of a great king. Let us go and inquire of him and offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I believe, therefore, although it is not written that the holy kings symbolized in their gifts what they believed about Christ, I believe that, that also it was expressed in their clothing, because the king who brought the gold was clothed in a gold shirt, and the one who brought the incense in a purple tunic, and the one who brought myrrh in a red scarf. See how they made themselves fit both in gifts as well as clothing? Morally, I find in sacred scripture that God promised men two stars, one in the old law, namely that which appeared to the eastern kings, which prefigured the redemption of mankind. The second and better was promised in the New Testament, saying, And he that shall overcome and keep my works unto the end, I will give him the morning star. This signifies heavenly salvation. Note, he who shall conquer the devil shall through humility, the flesh through chastity, 
and the world through poverty, and keep my works unto the end, I will give him the morning star. The good angel guiding the soul to Christ, see how the angel and sacred scriptures are called the stars. The reason is because just as the heavenly firmament is decorated and bedecked with stars, so the imperial heaven is decorated and bedecked with angels, and so they are referred to as stars by the authority. And the stars have given light in their watches and rejoice. They were called and they said, here we are. And with cheerfulness, they have shined forth to him and made them. In Baruch chapter 3, verse 34 through 36. Note the stars, angels, stars have given light in their watches to men who, have, who were keeping watch. David says, for he, was, he has given his angels charge over you to keep you, commanded to his angels to keep you. They bring, they bring to the understanding what ought to be believed to the memory, what, it, what is to be feared and remembered, and to the will, what is to be hoped for, and to deeds, what is to be done. And when a man receives the light of their instructions, he rejoices. And in the end, when a man is in the arms of death, God sends the morning star, an angel, who leads the soul to Christ. Just as a star leads to the kings to Christ, and so it happens that if this epiphany star is corruptible because it is immediately, it is immediately was changed back into the underlying material, once it had been observed and desired, how much more should we await that incorruptible star by washing ourselves from all uncleanliness and sins? First, by washing our heart from anger, rancor, and ill will, our mouths from blasphemies, lies, and detractions, our hands from theft and extortion, and the like, and the whole body from the corruption of lust and carnal sins. Note from the aforesaid of evidence that this star, which appeared brighter in the, in the birth of Christ, was not one of the heavenly stars for five reasons, which St. Thomas gives in the Tertia Pars, Question 36, Article 7. St. Thomas says, repeating the opinions of the, of the others, that the essence of this star was probably was one of a new creation, not in the heaven, but in the atmosphere, which moved according to the divine will. Augustine believed, namely, that, that it was not of the heavenly stars, because he says in his book, Contra Faust Faustum, book two, besides the star was not one of those which from the beginning of the world continue in the course ordained by the creator. Along with the new birth from the virgin appeared a new star. Chris Austin believes this too. Proceeded with courage. The second point is to declare how the three holy kings proceeded with courage because they from the head of the world, namely from the east, they came for 13 days to Judea, which is in the middle of the world. In fact, from what I have found in the text and in the gloss of the doctor, Doctors have prepared themselves, they immediately began their journey. The star first rose ahead of them, showing them the way which they should take. So that when they had, cl had to climb a hill, first the star rose, and when they had to descend, it descended. And when they had to cross a river, the star showed them the place to ford it. And when they were in a village in which they had to rest, the star would remain motionless over the hotel. Then when they were leaving, the star would lead again, and they would follow. Doesn't this seem to you to be a great miracle? In this way, they came to their destination, the promised land. And on the next day, when they were to enter the land of Judea, the star, or to Judah, the star disappeared from their sight. Imagine the sadness they had, saying, Oh, whoa, what is this? Has the star disappeared because of some sin of one of us? What should we do? St. Thomas Aquinas says that they took counsel on what they should do. One said that they should return because to seek a new king in a foreign land would be very dangerous. Others said that they should at least go into the city of Jerusalem. Such a king ought to be born in a noble city, or at least they would know where he had been born, because they were great rabbis and professors there. 
so let us do what we can. And they came to the city of Jerusalem. And then was fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, saying, Arise, be enlightened, O Jerusalem, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and a mist the people. But the Lord shall rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall walk in your light, and the kings in the brightness of your rising. The Gentiles speak of the, to the Jews as if to a person sleeping, saying, Arise, city of Jerusalem, be enlightened with the brightness of the light of faith. For your light is come, the Christ. Note that the Gentiles shall walk in your light, not just the Jews. Morally, the kings, having lost their star, came to Jerusalem so that they can be instructed there. So should we do when we lose the star of the grace of God. You know that the grace of God is called a star, signified by the star of the king. Why? Because just as that star directed and led the kings to Christ in Judea, so the grace of God directs and leads and shows the way to paradise to those who have it. At a fork in the road, it points out the way to the right. Oh, how many forks in the road there are in this world for those who choose not to go to Christ. First is of pride and vanity to the left, of sweetness and humility to the right. The star of the, of the grace of God points to the right, the way of humility, which is the correct way, straight and good and without fear or without danger. Second is the fork of avarice and desire and of mercy and, and of liberality. Third is the fork of lust and carnal desires and purity and innocence. Fourth is the fork of envy and malice on the left and of benevolence and goodness on the right, which the star of grace makes clear. Fifth is of gluttony and voraciousness and abstinence and moderation. Sixth is the fork of anger and brutality and of peace and unity. Seventh is the fork of torpor and laziness and of diligence and industriousness. And these, the stars, the star of the grace of God directs us. Also, the star of grace of God shows the way, ascending through the contemplative way and descending through the active way for works of mercy and piety. It also shows the crossing on the river of worldly delights, where many are drowned, submerged by food and drink and clothing and taste, etc. So, blessed John says, Let the anointing which you have received from him abide in you, and you have no need that any man teach you, but as his anointing teaches you of all things. Note the anointing, the gloss says, divine grace. But what must you do when the stage of divine grace is lost? And the state of divine grace is lost, which is not lost, but through mortal sin. I say you ought to do what those holy kings did, namely go to Jerusalem. Go to the church to confess our sins and so rediscover the star of the graces of God. Thus Christ said to Paul who lost the star, go into the city and there it shall be told to you what you must do in Acts 9-7. Note the city Damascus, which is translated bloody and signifies the church in which the blood of Christ is consecrated and consumed. Sought him discreetly. The third point is how these, the three kings, sought Christ discreetly, the place of the birth of Christ after they had been in the city of Jerusalem. When the kings were near the city, think how there was a disturbance in the city, especially because Herod, who was a new king and a foreigner to the people of Judah, of Judah feared for himself and kept himself apart from them. Think how Herod immediately sent for the kings to find out who they were and whom they sought and why they had come. The kings replied that they had come to seek the newly born king of the Jews. You can imagine that someone warned them, do not tell, otherwise Herod will follow you. They did not deny the truth. We have seen his star in the east and have come to adore him. Chris Ostom says, consider the devotion of the kings. They have not yet seen Christ and they are prepared to die for him. Herod had asked why they had come. 
think what fear and pain entered into his ear, especially because he was already afraid of this. And he had heard of the wonders which would happen at the birth of the Christ, on account which he considered himself ruined and destroyed. About this, the evangelist Matthew writes, Herod, hearing this, was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. But he hid his malice, feigning joy at the birth of Christ. And because the kings of the east had come in simplicity and unarmed, he permitted them to enter the city and receive them honorably. Next he said to them, My lords, why have you come? They replied, We seek the whereabouts of the one who has been born king of the Jews. See what perils they placed themselves in. Herod, dissimulating, said, I have heard something of this, but I do not know whether it is certain that he has been born. The kings replied, It is certain, because we have seen his star in the east. Then Herod said, And now, my lords, what do you wish? They responded, We have come with gifts to adore him. Then Herod, in a loud voice, eagerly asked of them the time when the star appeared to them. In private, he asked them, Tell me exactly the day and time of his birth, and I, with my master's, Doctors and rabbis shall tell you of the place where he has been born, that we shall we all might come to adore him. O oh, deceiver, with his other hand he had al- he, he already was readying the sword, that he might cut him down if he could. And gathering all the chief priests and the scribes, he consulted them as to where the Christ would be born. They all agreed and responded that it was in the city of Bethlehem, according to the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem Ephratah, are a little one among the thousands of Judah." Well, out of you shall he come forth to him, he who is to be the ruler of Israel. Note who is to be the ruler, ruler in virtues by the example of his behavior and preaching. Then Herod informed the kings of the place and sending them to Bethlehem said, Go and diligently inquire after the child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I too may come to adore him. O oh, betrayer, enemy of the church, wicked Herod, why do you fear the Christ to come? He who rules gives the celestial kingdom, does not seize a mortal kingdom. Thus the holy king sought him discreetly and with great diligence. Morally, the holy kings, before they came to Herod, were guided by a star. But after they had gone to the king, Herod, they turned again to the holy scriptures to guide themselves. Herod signifies the Antichrist because just as Herod wanted to kill the Christ, killed the innocents, So the Antichrist, wishing to destroy the faith of Christ, shall kill Christians, contradicting him. And that star signifies human science, logic, philosophy, laws, canons by which we are now directed and ruled. But in the time of the Antichrist, it shall be necessary to turn again to sacred scriptures, because the Antichrist shall not believe in logic, nor philosophy, nor poetry, nor laws, etc. Only with sacred scripture shall we make a stand against him. Therefore, how guilty are we now because no one cares about the Bible? Lay people give themselves to profitable sciences, and among religious who ought to study sacred scripture, one devotes himself to Virgil, another to Ovid, another to Terence, and so for the others. This is one sign among others of the nearness of the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist, to prove his error that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, shall bring forth only the texts of the Bible and the prophets. How do you defend yourself to refute him if you are ignorant of the Bible? About this, there is a prophecy of Solomon saying, When prophecy shall fail, the people shall be scattered. This prophecy speaks of the Old Testament. Christ speaks to all, saying, Search the scriptures, for you think in them to have life everlasting. And the same are they that give testimony of me. Adored him profoundly. The fourth point is how they adored him profoundly. After they had received the instruction on permission to depart from Herod, when they had come to Jerusalem's gate, the star reappeared to them. 
Oh, if one could express the joy which they had. And Matthew relates this. And seeing the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. We now know the reason why the star hid from them. So that by a double sign, the star and the scriptures, they might be certified of the truth and would have a double testimony. And the star went before, went before them as before. When they were near Bethlehem, the judges and officials of Bethlehem, who had heard of their arrival, came to meet them, saying, What do you wish, and why do you come here? They replied, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to adore him. They said, We know no other king but Herod. O oh, liars! That star illuminated those three kings, and the sun, that is Christ, was not able to illuminate them. Their sinfulness was blinding them placing an obstacle on the night of the nativity when light was shining and the star was seen by all. As Maximus says in the sermon for today, rightly one star shone the rays which a faithless people were not able to hide nor hide its truth, where the, ver the very heaven of the universe shone forth with a side rail light to the eyes of everyone. Then think when the Jews looked at the star, how it brought devotion to the good and instilled terror on the wicked. How they wondered because it did not shine from very high. The kings followed it and entered the city and finally came to the place where the child was. The holy teachers tell us that the Virgin Mary was still in the cave with the child when she had given birth. And the gloss says that Joseph, by divine providence, was not there at the time, lest he himself be thought to be the father of the child. When the Virgin Mary sensed that the army which she feared was coming, imagine how she hid the child in the manger and began sewing and knitting, praying, and her whole heart trembled. The star stood above the place where the child was, and the kings were amazed when they did not see a palace there or a noble house. And they looked at each other saying, how is it that the star is not moving? Maximus says that the star emitted new and brighter rays, which told the kings, here is the king whom you seek. The kings dismounted from their horses and beasts, and one of them coming to the entrance of the cave lifted up the door covering a little and asked, who is here? He saw the virgin knitting and sewing. The other two kings approached, and when they saw the Virgin Mary, they immediately were seized with great devotion. They said to them, My Lord. She said to them, My lords, what do you seek? They asked, Do you know where the one who has been born, King of the Jews? Because we wish to adore him. The Virgin Mary did not say that she did not know, but she said, Lords, the great ones, the rabbis and the rectors of the city ought to know. She spoke the truth, and immediately the king's hearts were fully inflamed and again going out they looked for the star it was standing immediately overhead and not moving it was even more beautiful they returned to the virgin and they said to her have you a son she responded yes my lords how long is it since you gave birth she replied lords today is the 13th day the king said dear young woman please show him to us then the virgin knowing that they had come with good intentions picked up the child from the manger and held him out to them they said, what is his name? The Virgin Mary replied, Jesus. And hearing the name, they prostrated themselves and adored him saying, O Savior, it is good that you have come. O Lord, such is your humility that you have wished to come in a stable of this miserable world. You who are infinite in divinity are now confined in humanity. You who are creator have become a creature. You who are immortally and invulnerably safe have become vulnerable and mortal. O oh Lord, this is such a grace. And weeping, they kissed his feet. And adoring the mother, they said, O oh, chamber of paradise, temple of God, chalice of the Holy Spirit, 
Oh, blessed, you have brought us, brought to us a savior. The evangelist says that opening their treasures, they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a great king, frankincense for the true God, and bitter myrrh for one who would suffer. And so the prophecy of David was fulfilled this day, saying, The kings of Tarsius and the islands shall offer presents. The kings of Arabians and of the Saba shall bring gifts. And all kings of the earth shall adore him. All nations shall serve him. Note that they shall serve him, namely for the good rewards and remuneration which he gives to his servants. Otherwise, one serves the world, which brings death to his servants and delivers his soul to the devil for eternal punishment. But Christ gives grace to his servants in this world and glory in the next. Therefore, he is to be served. And so Christ said, the Lord your God shall you adore and him only shall you serve. Then the holy kings prayed to God and he might show them if they should return to Herod. But the evangelist says that having received an answer in sleep from an angel that they should not return to Herod, they went back another way into their country. Think a moment here. When Joseph came and saw such gold, incense, and myrrh, how he rejoiced. But on the other hand, he was saddened that he was not judged worthy to be present for such a special event. St. Bernard says that they gave all of their gold out of love of God. Morally, from the example of the kings, we ought to offer the gold of our conversion. Such a person can say with David, I have loved your commandments above gold and topaz, which is a precious stone. Therefore, was I directed to all your commandments. I have hated all wicked ways. Second, the frankincense of devout prayers, saying, let my prayers be directed in his incense. Third, we should offer the myrrh of voluntary penance. And such a one can say, you shall make me to live. Behold, and peace is my bitterness, most bitter. But you best deliver my soul that it should not perish. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Praise be to God. That was a beautiful meditation on the Sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, soapbox and negativities and positivities or anything in between, you can feel free to email me at fonsecaproduction at gmail.com or comment down below, and I will be happy to talk to you about it. And, uh, of course, if you get a chance, go ahead and take a look at this sermon and go read it for yourself. It's a beautiful, beautiful sermon. Highly recommend if you didn't get a chance to read this, to take a read of it and read it over and over, especially during the octave of Epiphany. Uh, without further ado... I will leave you be, and I know I already prayed, but I'll pray again in, uh, in Latin. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae, Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen.